Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. Hey man, as these folks are grabbing their seat, you can take a seat as well. I want to say, hey, welcome back to our series. You're saying, what series? Well, I'm glad you asked. I don't know if you remember it, but before we took kind of a turn and did another series, we ran a series in the book of Philippians. We didn't finish that series. It's called A Jailhouse Journal for the Joyous Advance of the Gospel. If you remember, Paul himself is in prison. He's in jail. You may say to me as we start this message, man, what does that have to do with me? I'm not in jail. Well, there's more than one kind of jail. You see, iron bars make a prison, but there are other things that make a prison. Some who are here this morning, you are simply living in the dungeon of despair. Some are caught within the walls of resistance. Some are shackled with the chains of poor health. Some know the iron bars of disappointment, the shackles of your circumstances that won't change, the fetters of fear. You see, there's more than one kind of prison, and for some, they're living within the jailhouse walls of worry. What Paul has to say in Philippians chapter 4 is so relevant to our lives today. You see, a lot of us say worry. Worry, I mean, it's a real thing, but I mean, is it really that bad? Well, yeah. You see, worry is bad because when we worry, what we're really saying is that God can't take care of us, that our problems are bigger than his promises. R.H. Mounts once said that worry is practical atheism. Rick Warren writes, worry is the warning light that God is not really first in my life at this particular moment because worry says that God is not big enough to handle my troubles. Jill Briscoe said, we can worry or we can worship, but we can't do both. It's like the weary Christian who was awake all night trying to hold the world together by his worry. Then he heard the Lord gently say, you can go to sleep now. I'll be up all night. You see, if you're worrying this morning, the Lord has a word for you just like he did for the Philippians. So let's just kind of ask Well, why were the Philippians anxious? I mean, that's kind of an important question. Well, there are many concerns that cause us to worry and to get anxious. And the Philippian church faced several of them. One was, as if you remember in the book of Philippians, they faced these external threats. Paul tells them not to be be in any way frightened by their opponents in chapter 1, verse 28. They were also dealing with internal opposition and Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 3, these two women were in conflict, and a lot of the church was in conflict over two groups of people. Paul tells them to work through it, don't worry. They were concerned for their beloved missionary church planner, Paul, as well as their representative, Epaphroditus. They were also maybe worried about God's provision, so Paul reassures them in Philippians 4.19 that God can supply all their needs. Maybe you can identify with some of those. I mean, is some external threat? Maybe something on the 
internet or other things causing you to worry? Is there conflict within your church that's causing you to worry? Are you worried about how you're going to provide your next meal or the next bill? Well, pay attention because God has a word, but, but really we got to ask another question. What does worry do to me? It's been said that worry is a joy killer. Worry will make you self-absorbed. When you're consumed with your worries, you will be less likely to serve others wholeheartedly. Worry distracts you and keeps you from the mission. Worry will rob you of peace, which Paul says should be filling the hearts of praying believers. All these results are really spiritual issues, folks. Now, there are physical results that display the signs of physical problems, I mean spiritual problems. If I worry a lot, some of the things that are going to happen is, is I may start to sweat, I get a rapid heartbeat. I, I can experience chest pain. Pain. I can. I can have exhaustion. I can be have this nervous twitching, decreased concentration and memory loss, nausea, shortness of breath, hair loss, weight gain or loss, panic, indecisiveness, canker sores, muscle tension, insomnia, self medication, high blood pressure, eating comfort foods, reckless driving, and I could go on and on and on. But the real question is, we all know what it does to us, and we all know that it's bad for us, so what do we do about it? Well, thank you for asking. The world also has some recommendations to that question. The world says, hey, try acupuncture. Just exercise more. Better yet, try essential oils. Aromatherapy. Yoga. Deep breathing exercises. Now listen, those are means of common grace and we shouldn't not use them. Just wonder where we turn first. You see, we should start with worry where God starts with worry and that's his word. And we need God's word to know God's peace. So let's turn to Philippians chapter four, verses four through nine and find out a couple of things about how we can have peace of mind. I wonder if you'd rise to your feet as we read Philippians chapter four, verses 4 through 9. We're only going to cover verses 4 through 7 this morning, and then the next time that I preach, we'll jump back in on 8 and 9. But Philippians chapter 4, the Bible begins by saying this, Rejoice in the Lord how much? Always, church. Again, I'll say what? Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is where? Where is he? That's right. Be anxious for what, church? But in everything by prayer and supplication. With what? Thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And here's the promise when we do that. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, when I get rid of stinking thinking, here it comes. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good repute, if there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. And the things that you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Lord, bless your word and bless your people in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Let me tell you the first thing that we're going to jump off into this morning is this, that I can have peace of mind by rejoicing in the presence of the Lord. I can have peace of mind by rejoicing in the presence of the Lord. If you notice there in verses 4 and 5, he said rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. 
Let your spirit be known, your gentle spirit be known to all men because the Lord is near. Now, listen, you got to remember, Paul was not in prison by himself. (laughs) Jesus was in prison with Paul. So he could truly say, rejoice in the presence of the Lord. When he says the Lord is near, Paul didn't mean that his second coming is near, which it is. He meant that the Lord is near. The Lord is at his hand. He says, I am in prison, but but the Lord Jesus is here with, with me, and therefore I rejoice in the presence of the Lord. What an incredible thing for us to learn is that no matter where we are, how lonely you may be, how dark the road is that you're on, how dismal the prison, how big the problem, did you know that Jesus Christ is right there with you? He promised in Matthew, and it's recorded in Hebrews 13, 5, Jesus said, I will never, never leave you or forsake you. That's the only way that I can make this verse make sense when he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I mean, you don't rejoice in your circumstances. You don't rejoice when you've been put in prison with rodents and deprivation and suffering and cold. No, no, no. You only rejoice in the presence of the Lord. This joy is to be continual, not sometimes. Look at it very carefully again. The Bible says in verse 4, to rejoice in the Lord, we said it, but say it again. Always. That literally means, here's a Greek word for you. Here's the Greek. It literally means all the time. Y'all all all right with that? I mean, at all times means all the time. Let, Let me help you this morning. You see, listen to me very carefully. Listen to the sound of my voice. The joy of the Lord is a thermostat, not a thermometer. You see, a a thermometer registers conditions that are around, but a thermostat controls them. And listen to me, happiness or my joy is related to to my thermometer. See, if my happiness is just based on the reactions of what's going on, if my hap is good, then I'll be happy. If my hap is bad, then I'm unhappy. My condition of happiness goes up and down based on the circumstances. But that's not what this is. We have a thermostat. It's the presence of the Lord. And when the presence of the Lord is around, he sets and takes care of everything, folks. And I can rejoice always because I have a thermostat that Jesus Christ is in me. Did you know that we need to learn in our lives when we start to worry is we just simply need to practice the presence of God. Practice the presence of God. I mean, understand that he's always there no matter what circumstance we find ourselves, not to become a thermometer, but just to set the thermostat. Habakkuk understood how to rejoice in the presence of the Lord. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 through 18. The Bible says this, Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold and there shall be no herd in the stalls. What does Habakkuk say? Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I would joy in the God of my salvation. Did you know that? It doesn't matter what you're worried about or what agony there may be, there's Jesus and he is always there. You can set your thermostat to that. Jesus Christ, just before he was crucified, he says to his disciples in John 15, 11, here's what he said. He said, these things I've spoken to you so that my joy may what? Be in you and that your joy may what? That's what Jesus wants for us. In Psalm 16, 11, it says this, you will show me the path of life and in your presence is what? The fullness of joy. 
What Paul is saying is simply this. They have, may have locked me in, but they can't lock Jesus out. Amen. Rejoice in the Lord always. The Lord is at hand. If I want to have peace of mind, if I truly want to have peace of mind, I've got to rejoice in the presence of the Lord. Find my joy in Jesus, not in my circumstances. Because listen to me, circumstances always change, but Jesus never does. Circumstances never change, but Jesus never does. You can never be shut away from the presence of the Lord if you're his child. Rejoice in the Lord always because he's always with you. He will never leave nor forsake you. Listen to me. Contemplate him. Just consider him. Praise him. Love him. Enjoy him. Practice the presence of God. And the Bible says that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Jesus. That's a promise. Here's the first thing we learned this morning is I can have peace of mind by rejoicing in the presence of the Lord, but you're asking me, well, what else? Well, okay, here it is. You can have the peace of mind by relying on the power of the Lord. You can have peace of mind by relying on the power of the Lord. Verse six, he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, what does that mean? Let me put it to you down here where I eat. Let me put it down here on the lower shelf where short people reach for it, okay? Let me just help you. What that really means is if you've got a problem, just tell God about it. Now, that's really what it means. I mean, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Listen, don't be anxious about anything, but pray about everything. That's what he's saying. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. What you have to understand here is this, this text tells us something about the word worry. Our word worry is from the Middle English period. It means to choke or to strangle. It means to be troubled, fretful, troubled with cares, to turn something over and over in my mind. Listen to me. Do you know that one of the most damaging emotions that you can experience and continue to work on over and over to you is worry? Did you know that worry will do the same thing to you mentally that sand does to machinery? There are only a few things that can hurt your body more than worry. Again, the word worry here means division. It has the idea of being pulled apart. So when I begin to worry, what I do is, is I lose hope and I begin to get fearful. And I can't do that if I understand that I have hope and I shouldn't be afraid of anything. I can't think two thoughts at the same time. I can either worry or I can pray. Jesus said something about this in Matthew chapter 6. If you remember, when he was talking about the birds and all kinds of things in Matthew 6, Jesus said, which of you by taking anxious thought of worrying can add one cubit unto his stature? Most of you can understand I don't worry a lot. <laughs> Short people just, I mean, obviously they don't worry. It's just, that's, that's my interpretation. No, that's not what that is. I mean, the very best thing that I could say about worry is it doesn't do anybody any good. That's the best I could say about it. Four times in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, do not worry. And the word there literally means to have no anxious thought. It's not foresight, but foreboding. Worrying about things that are out there in the future that I don't even know if are going to transpire. He says it does no good. It's like one man said, it's like a rocking chair where he is. Where he gives you something to do, but it doesn't take you anywhere. That's what worry is like. You know, behavior psychologists, they've told us about worry. 40% of what I worry about never, ever happens. 30% has already gone past, and worry can't change it. 
12% is usually needless worry about my health that never results in anything. 10% of the things that I worry about are miscellaneous worries that don't have any relation to my life whatsoever. But if I am a worrier, of those things, 8% are, are caught up in this category. So what we really worry about are 8% of the things in life. And 4% of those are something we have no control over, and the other 4% we actually do. So we really are only worrying about a small portion of things that we can do anything about. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Here's what I'm really trying to tell you. If I can do something about something, then I should do it and stop worrying. If I can't, I, either there's a cure or... I mean, it's not hard, right? For every evil under the sun, either there's a cure or there be none. If there be none, never mind it. And if there be one, pray till you find it. Now, what does Jesus and all this really mean? It means Jesus saying that worry is useless. In other words, I can't make myself taller or really I can't change any situation by worry. Mark Twain said this. He said, I'm an old man and I've known many troubles, most of them which never happened. Worry is useless, but it's also wasteful. Jesus said sufficient for the day is the evil. Worry doesn't take the sorrow out of tomorrow. It takes the joy out of today. Worry pulls tomorrow's clouds over today's sunshine. Worry doesn't help me get ready for tomorrow because God only gives me strength for today, not for tomorrow. So when I bring tomorrow's troubles into today, I overload today. Worry, it's been said, is the interest I pay on borrowed trouble. You see, when, when I get to tomorrow, I'm not more ready when I get to tomorrow. I'm less ready because by tomorrow, if I'm just worrying, I'm out of breath. And I'm trying to live today's strength with tomorrow's troubles. And I'm overloaded today and I'm worn out even before I get to tomorrow. Worry is useless. It's wasteful. But also, let me tell you this, and I say this with kindness in my heart, but listen to me. The Bible also teaches that worry is absolutely wicked. Worry is wicked. Because Jesus said in Matthew 6, 32, it's after all these things that we're worried about that the Gentiles seek. When we worry, we're acting just like a pagan. And that's why we mentioned earlier that really worry is practical atheism. Worry is wicked because it doesn't trust God. It's living as if God doesn't exist as if he isn't in control of all things. Now, I know some of you in the room are saying, okay, 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 I'm not to worry about anything, now I'm worried about that. Well, don't worry about anything, just pray about everything, because verse 6 says this. The cure for worry is very simply prayer. I mean, really, the cure for worry is simply Prayer. Because prayer, prayer is the place where I find God's power, his provision, and his peace. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. He says in everything with prayer and supplication. Listen to me. If it's a big enough concern to you, it's a big enough concern to your God. Don't get the idea that there are some things that are just too small to tell God about. You pray about everything. I remember reading the story of a missionary who went out uh, he met this voracious lion as he was crossing across his field, and he, and he prayed and asked God to deliver him from the lion. Well, God delivered him from the mouth and paw of that lion, and he gave God great praise. And that very night, he tried to go to sleep, and there was a mosquito in the room. It kept him awake all night long, and when he woke up, he had dark circles under his eyes, and the Holy Spirit said to him, you asked the Father to deliver you from a lion, 
but you thought you could handle that mosquito by yourself. You pray about everything. Worry about nothing. Now think about it. I mean, we, we say, well, you know, I need God just for the big things. No, we need God for everything. <laughs> he said, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. You say, well, I don't want to bother God about the little stuff. Well, can you think just for a moment with me that, that, that there's nothing little to God? I mean, it's all his. It isn't big and little. It's God, God. It's all God's. It's all little stuff to him compared to who he is. But there isn't little and big stuff. You're his child, and he cares about everything in your life. Paul gives us a comprehensive positive, right? He says, in everything to pray. But then he gives us this comprehensive negative, and he says, you're to be worried about nothing. So then only by praying in every situation is it possible to not worry. Years ago, in the pioneer days of aviation, a pilot was making a flight around the world. He'd, take, he'd taken off, and he was about two hours from his last landing field, and he heard this noise in his plane. And he began to think about it, and he began to understand, and he heard more and listened more, and he understood it was the gnawing of a rat. He realized that while his plane had been on the ground in his last landing place, a rat had gotten in. And for all he knew, the, the rat was, was gnawing through vital cables and controls in the plane. It was a very serious situation, and so he was concerned, and he began to get worried. At first, he didn't know what to do. I mean, it was two hours back to the landing field, and it was two hours to get to where he was going. But then the more he thought about it, the more he began to realize that a rat is a rodent. It's not made for heights. It's made to live on the ground and, and really in the ground. And therefore, the pilot just simply began to climb. He went up to 1,000 feet and then another 1,000 until he was more than 20,000 feet up in the air. And then the gnawing ceased. The rat was dead. Because you see, the rodent couldn't live in the atmosphere of those heights. Here's the truth. Worry is a rodent. But it can't survive when we take our requests to the highest heavens. Worry can't live in the presence of God. Just can't live there. So when you're worried, you just keep ascending to the God that you and I know because the power of God is available to us in prayer. And I need you to know something today. One pastor said it this way, and I borrowed from him. He said, pray so much that worry has to take a number. <laughs> Folks, can I just encourage you today that you can have peace of mind by rejoicing in the presence of the Lord and relying on the power of the Lord. And one more thing, and we're done. And that is this, I can have peace of mind by reminiscing on the provision of the Lord. I can have peace of mind by reminiscing on the provision of the Lord because in verse 6 he says this, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Did you hear that? You see, when I pray and make my request known, I'm to do it with thanksgiving. Did you know that there's no higher expression of faith than thanksgiving? And did you know that there's no, no expression greater of unbelief than worry? 
Now think about it. Thanksgiving is the highest expression of faith and worry is perhaps the greatest expression of unbelief. So the Bible tells me to refuse to worry, just tell God about it. And then I thank God about all that he's ever done in my life up to this point. Paul is encouraging a spirit of thanksgiving when he's in a slummy dungeon. Why? Because he's, he's realizing that he's seen God do so many things in the past, God's not going to let him down now. Because the blessings that he has by being a child of God, and he had to get things into focus. Listen to me. When I begin to worry, I begin to feel sorry for myself, and I forget that I am a child of God. The word think and the word thank are closely related. You say, well, where do you get that, Pastor? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because Psalm 68, 19 says it this way. The Bible says it this way. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears our burden. Now, who's bearing the burden? I mean, if he's bearing my burden and he's praying and interceding for me, why do I get worried? It's because this comes down to a matter of trust as we've talked about before. But, but the Lord, the Bible says, blessed be him who daily bears our burden. The God is our salvation. And there's that word Selah. You know what that means? It means think and stop and think on this. So see, I'm to, I'm to think about what God has done. God is bearing my burden, and that leads me to thanksgiving. When I think about all that God has done, all the prayers, all the faithfulness of God in my life, and I get that in my heart, the peace of God wells up within me, and I just begin to thank God for who he is and what he's done in my life. If I'm in the dungeon, thank him for my spiritual blessings. If I'm in a dungeon, thank him for the simple blessings. I've learned this as I've gone through my life. Listen to me very carefully. Unthankful people are always the most worried people. Some people, rather than being humbly grateful, are grumbly hateful. I think we've all met people like that. They're filled with bitterness and fear and negativism and selfishness and self-pity, and they're just the world's worst worriers. But thankful people are not like that. Can I, can I share this with you? The condition for experiencing God's peace is that not that God regret, gives you every request of prayer. Sometimes God says no. Sometimes God says wait. Sometimes God says yes, but listen to me. Do I want an answer to a prayer or do I want God himself? And God himself has promised that when I pray, he is with me. Prayer is about me bending my knee and opening my need before God and expressing absolute dependence on him with constant thanksgiving for who he is and that I can trust him. When I pray with that attitude, the focus is not upon what, what I'm going to get to do or what, what I'm going to get to experience, but about who God is and what God is doing. And that's the peace of God that guards me. As I said, thanksgiving is an expression of faith. You see, here's what I want you to understand. When, when I go to the, the Lord in prayer and I, I'm worried about things and I begin to pray, think about it like this. If somebody came up to you today and said, hey, uh, tomorrow I'm going to take you to Disneyland. How would you respond? Now, now hold on. i got some kids that are super excited. I didn't say that. I'm using this as an illustration. But I mean, if it's somebody that you really trust and you know they're going to keep their promise to you, before you even get there, what do you do? Thank you. 
wow, that's awesome. Thank you so much. And it hasn't happened yet. But, you know, if it's somebody that you don't really trust, you kind of whisper under your breath, I'll leave that when I see it. If you don't like Disneyland, what's wrong with you, first of all? But you just simply say, no, thank you. But here's the point. You say thank you to the promises you know that will be kept. And that's what we're doing in prayer. Not only thanking God for the past stuff that he's done, but we're thanking him that every one of his promises are yes and amen in Jesus because we trust our God. You see, when we pray, we rely on the power of God and give him thanks. And when we're reminiscing about all that he's done in the past and how he'll be faithful today and in the future, when we pray and start reminiscing about all that God has done, his peace sets a guard in our hearts and minds. And I can't wait to get to this. Y'all have got to come back when I preach the second part because it just gets better. He gives me his peace, and I thank him for what he's already done. And I'm constantly reminding myself that he's faithful. My God can do it again. Can yours? He's been faithful in the past. He'll always be faithful in the future. That's why I don't have to worry. The Bible says in Colossians 3, 17, that whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, what else does it say? Giving thanks through him to God the Father. I can have peace of mind by rejoicing in the presence of the Lord, relying on the power of God and reminiscing on the provisions of the Lord. Now, Jeremy and the crew who's supposed to come, I wish you would come. Others in the church, I know you're fixing to have a heart attack. You just looked at your watch and you're like, what is this pastor doing? Would you know something today? There's, there's a part of the sea known as the cushion of the sea. It lies beneath the surface and it's not agitated by storms or churned by the wind. It's so deep that it's a part of the sea that is never stirred. It's never, never affected by this turbulence that goes on constantly above it. Once you know that's what the peace of God is like. You say, well then how do we get that kind of peace of God? How do we get down to the cushion of the sea? shared with you three things you just simply rejoice in the presence of the Lord and you just rely on the power of God in prayer and then you just remember all that he's done and look forward to all that he will do and you'll understand all of a sudden that there's something that has come over you that you just can't explain and it's called the peace of God see I can go there and I have access to that place at any time because of Jesus. I wonder this morning as we talk about peace, we're talking about the peace of God. And those of us who believe in the Lord Jesus, we have the peace of God. But can I tell you within the sound of my voice, there's something that's more important to you than having the peace of God, and that's having peace with God. Can I tell you today that the Bible says that if you and I do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are enemies of God. And we're not at peace with God. And the Bible says that God will bring his judgment upon all those who are opposed to him. I know that sounds like bad news and that doesn't sound very good and uplifting in a church service, but can I tell you this? The reason I tell you the bad news is is to tell you the good news, and that is the Bible says that you can become a friend of God. 
You see, if I'm an enemy of God, it means that I'm worried and I'm going in my own direction, doing my own things, living my life my own way. I don't even have to believe that there's a God. But here's what I know, that when a preacher stands up or a person goes out in the parking lot or they're at a Wendy's or they're, they're, they're at a Whataburger or whatever, and they begin to share what I'm sharing with you, something happens in the heart of a, of a, of a man or a woman. And the Spirit of God will begin to do this. He'll begin to convict you of your sin, that you really are an enemy of God, that you really are separated from God and caught up in your own sin. And, and you know that, and you begin to realize that I have sinned against God. And then you begin to realize that you're separated from God and that you deserve His wrath and His punishment. That's not something you come to your mind to understand. That's something the Holy Spirit begins to do in your life. And then you stand saying, well, then how do I become a friend of God and no longer his enemy. Well, the Bible tells us to put our faith in what Jesus Christ has done for us. What has Jesus done for us? Well, he died upon a cross to bring war between us and him to an end. Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace, brought peace. And all I have to do, friends, is if I'm at war with God and I'm an enemy of God, I just wave the right white flag of surrender. And I just say, Jesus, do you promise that you won't punish me? Do you promise that, that the wages of sin is death? Do you promise that I won't have those? And Jesus says, it's even better than that. Not only will I not punish you, but I'm going to give you something. I'm going to make you right with God because the punishment for sin I've paid for. And then I'm going to give you the peace of God too. You can have peace with God, and you can have the peace of God, and you can be made right with God by simply believing that Jesus, out on the cross, he was buried and raised again to forgive you of all your sins and to make you right with God. It's, it's only through Jesus, friends. There, there is no other way to be right with God. There's no magical formula. There's no amount of prayers that you can pray. There's no amount of good deeds that you can do. It's simply faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. And I wonder today, do you know that? That's the kind of peace of mind that I want because you all know this as well as I know that, that the way Texas weather has been working and, and these tornadoes have been jumping off, you all know that tonight, we, we, this afternoon, we can leave here and something could come and, 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 man, you could face death immediately. I'd want to go to sleep tonight knowing I had peace of mind that if I were to die right now, I'd be with God in heaven. How about you? Others of you in the room today, you're here and you're saying, man, there, there's just some things that I'm worried about. And today God's reminded me that I need to pray. So this altar will be open. That chair is open for you to, to pray. I'll be down here. I'll get some others. I'll ask some of my deacons and some others to come down. And you can grab them by the hand and we'll pray with you about it. Amen. Others of you, man, you just got stuff going on. Maybe you've got a health need. Maybe you're getting ready to go out of town. You want us to pray. You want to share something with somebody. We'll be here. No matter what it is, we want to pray and minister to you and encourage you in the name of the Lord Jesus. But if you need to know Jesus personally, come let me know today. Come grab me by the hand and say, Pastor, tell me about Jesus. And I'll lead you to know him in a personal way. I wonder if you'd stand to your feet. And I'm going to pray. And then we're going to sing, Jeremy. Holy Spirit, take over in this room. May the Prince of Peace reign in our hearts and minds. And I pray it in Jesus' name.
Amen. You come.